morning. If you want to grab a seat, we are going to dig into God's Word. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Veritas Dayton. Uh, if you would take a moment, open your Bibles with me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 again, like we did last week, but we're looking at a different portion of Luke 1. Uh, this week, we're looking at Luke 1, verses 67 to 80. Uh, this is often referred to as Zechariah's song or uh, the Benedictus, uh, which is the, the first word of the uh, song in Latin, it's a word that means blessing. You might, might have noticed we do at the end of the service each week what we call a benediction. That's a blessing. We're giving a blessing for the road. Uh, this, is, uh, this song is often referred to the Benedictus because Zechariah raises his voice and he blesses God. He praises, he glorifies God with his voice. Uh, and so we're going to look at this particular song, Luke 1, 67 to 80, but we are actually, um, we're, we're going to focus on this this morning, and it's going to take up the majority of our focus, but we're also going to read uh, some other uh, portions of Luke 1 in order to kind of get a feel of what's going on here. So we're going to look at Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, and then we're going to pick it back up in Luke 1, 57, and read on through verse 80. Uh, it's a lot of scripture, but um, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.13, we're to be a people devoted to the public reading of Scripture, and so we want to do that. Sometimes that means reading long portions of text. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those uh, and turn to Luke 1, uh, and uh, that will get you where you need to go. Um, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. Uh, let's dig in. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover, and so we will dig right in. If you're in Luke 1 already, you can go ahead and stand with us as we read God's Word. Let's start with Luke 1, 5 to 25, and then Luke 1, 57 to 80. Hear the Word of the Lord with reverence and joy. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that, they had seen a vi- that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And now, picking it back up in Luke 1, 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to hear your voice this morning. What a grace it is to hear you. What a beautiful gift. What a matchless gift. What a great gift. And so we ask that that you would speak and that you would open our ears to hear your voice. Lord, and and we ask that 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 all of that would take place to the end that Jesus is made clear to us that our hearts are softened by him, that our eyes behold him, and that we are changed and assured and comforted by him. Would you pour out your spirit on us so that all of that would take place, Lord? 
Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I think it's safe to say, for the most part, uh, that this feeling, the feeling of, of waiting for something for a long period of time is becoming more and more foreign to us. Uh, the sense of anticipa- anticipation, the, the, the sensation of expectation, the, the somewhat uh, longing for fulfillment, is, it's all somewhat foreign to us. We live in a microwave fast food culture. We live in an iPhone culture. We live in, in a Google culture, a digital culture, an airplane culture. When we order food, we want it now. When we want some sort of information, it's just a few taps on a touch screen away. Uh, when we want to see a movie or read a book, go to Amazon, and, and you can have everything that you want in just mere moments before uh, ever having to leave your, your, the comfort of your own home. If you want to travel somewhere across the country or even into another country entirely, what would have taken years and, and decades, uh, just centuries ago, will now take place in just mere hours. Uh, but there are still a few parts of life that, wherein we still experience this sense of waiting. Um, when thinking about maybe some examples of waiting that the people of Veritas may be familiar with, the big, somewhat obvious one that comes to mind is, is the kind of waiting that takes place when you're expecting a child. Uh, the kind of process of, of, of uh, growing a child uh, and carrying a child, it can't be microwaved or expedited. That, that's something that takes time, and it's it's always going to take time. Uh, during the pregnancy, you're, you're excited, you're expectant, you have so many questions. Maybe you didn't choose to find out the sex of the baby, and so you're, you're wondering, what, 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 is, what is the sex of this baby? Is it going to be a boy or a girl? Uh, what will they look like? What will their personality be like? How will our lives change with this addition to the family? If you've had children previously, how will they interact with this uh, new child? How on earth are we going to cope with more diapers? Just, we're piling up diapers all the time. It's just craziness. Uh, you've, you've been waiting to meet this child and to, to, to find an answer to all these questions. Um, and, and if you've had a child before, you know what to expect. You, you know that, that nothing, hardly anything compares to holding that child in your arms, meeting them. Although they've been with you for the last nine months, meeting them for the first time, looking at their face, hearing their coos, holding them in your arms. It's an incomparable experience. It's hard to keep your composure in moments like that. You're so moved, so ecstatic. You, you could just burst into song almost. And so it's no wonder that when Zechariah's baby boy is born, he bursts into song. After praying for a son uh, for decades and being so disappointed for years and years of not being able to have children, he's holding his boy, his baby boy, in his arms here. He's he's filled to the brim with with happiness, with gladness, with with gratitude because of his son being born. But I want you to realize that it's not actually just because of his son being born. It's not just that he's been waiting for his son for the last nine months, or, or even uh, that he's been praying for his son for, for decades, praying to have a baby boy for decades and decades, and he's finally here. It's not just because of that. No, Zechariah and all the people of Israel have been waiting for some of these promises to be fulfilled here in Luke 1. Not just for nine months, not just for nine years, but for thousands of years. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so Zechariah's gladness and gratitude is not just because his son is born. In fact, it's not even mainly because his son is born. Rather, it's because the birth of his son and the coming birth of Mary's son signifies the fulfillment of promises promised years ago. 
Zechariah and the people of God, they've been waiting, they've been anticipating, they've been expecting these promises to be fulfilled. So as Zechariah hears the words from the angel, and his family has this visit from Mary that we talked about last week, and he sees the birth of his son, he does what any smitten, glad, and grateful person does, he sings, he sings. But now, this isn't just any song. This isn't just like any other song from like Justin Bieber or Beyonce or something. This is a spirit-inspired song loaded with meaning and significance that we can't even begin to uncover in the next 30 minutes. But to scratch the surface this morning, what we see in the song is Zechariah blesses God because after a prolonged silence, God has sent a prophet to prepare a path for our Savior. Zechariah blesses God because after a prolonged silence, God has sent a prophet to prepare a path for our Savior. That's our big idea for this morning. The song reveals to us a story about a prolonged silence, a prophet sent, and a people saved. And so that's what we're going to walk through this morning. First point, we're going to look at prolonged silence, a prolonged silence. Second, a prophet sent. And third, a people saved. Uh, Last week, we did this very brief flyby review of of part of the story of God's people throughout redemptive history. Uh, We talked very briefly about Eve, about Abraham, and, and about the Exodus story of the people of Israel. And the reason that we did that is because this story was so key and fundamental for us to understand Mary's song. And so if you missed that, I would suggest going back because a lot of what we're talking about this morning is kind of being laid on top of that already laid foundation. So, uh, and, and not only that, but the same is true. We need to know that the, the story of God's people to understand Zechariah's song as well. Uh, in fact, sc- scholars think that there's up to 33 references and quotations uh, to the Old Testament scriptures in just these 13 verses. I don't even know how that's possible. So it's safe to say that for us to, to understand what Zechariah is so glad and grateful about, we also need to understand something of the story of God's people in the Old Covenant. Zechariah makes references to the Exodus story that we talked about last week. In verse 67, he blesses God because in Christ, he has visited and redeemed his people. And that's the exact same language that the people of Israel uh, used throughout history to describe what God did in Egypt. They described what God had done in the Exodus stories, God visiting his people in power to rescue them. They described it as their redemption from slavery the redemption from from slavery. And Zechariah recognizes and sings and declares that another exodus, a greater exodus, is going to take place in the coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's setting his people free and redeeming them from slavery to sin. And not only that, but he makes reference to King David here as well and the promises made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7, God promises that one of David's sons, one of David's offspring, is going to ascend to the throne and reign as the king forever and ever. And so Zechariah sees that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. He is David's offspring. And so he sings and blesses God because he says, uh, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he keeps on going, not only referring to the Exodus story and to David, but he refers to Abraham that we talked about last week. We talked about Abraham and the promises and the covenant uh, that God made with Abraham last week. How God promised to send a savior who will come from the family of Abraham, and how he will bless all the world in his coming. Well, in in the coming of Jesus, Zechariah recognizes and celebrates and blesses God because Zechariah, because God is showing the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And then another reference he makes, not just to the Exodus story, not just to David, not just to Abraham, he makes a reference to the prophets. 
Uh, prophets were these guys in the Old Testament. It was an office uh, in Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and they were people who were sent to remind the people of Israel of all of these promises made to Israel, to David, and to Abraham. All of these promises were being fulfilled uh, in, 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 uh, in Luke 1 here were promises made through these people called prophets. The coming of Jesus and of John the Baptist was God making good on promises spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets of, from of old, Zechariah says. Now typically, when people hear the word prophet, uh, what they think of is, is like someone who tells the future. And so when you like read in the Bible, you know, the Bible calls someone a prophet, uh, they often just think of like the biblical version of like a fortune teller or something. Uh, and, and sometimes prophets do tell of something that's going to take place in the future, but that's not all they do. Uh, to summarize what prophets are, they were ambassadors for God. They were those who spoke on God's behalf. They spoke for God. They were God's mouthpiece. Uh, they, they were sent to uh, God's people to remind them of what was spoken in God's law, to call God's people to repentance, uh, and to tell about the promises and, and the coming events and, and acts of God, especially the coming of Christ. But to sum it up, prophets in the Old Covenant were God's mouthpiece. They spoke for God, which was very important as we see throughout the scriptures because God is a God who is present in and who acts through his word. He's a God who, whose presence and action comes through his voice, comes through speaking. In Genesis 1, God creates heaven and earth and everything in them. And how does he do it? He does it by speaking through his voice. In the story of Abraham, God continues the story and the promise of the offspring. How does he do that? Through speaking a promise. In the Exodus, God sets up the people of Israel free. And how does he do it? He does it through the prophet Moses. He does it by speaking through Moses. And the same is true throughout the entire Old Covenant and even in the New Covenant. And so the, the prophets of the Old Covenant who wrote all of the Old Testament scriptures were very, very important because as long as the prophets were in the midst of the people of Israel, it meant that God was with them. It meant that God was still acting uh, among and working in and on behalf of the people of Israel. But here's the problem. And, and this kind of is bringing us up to date here. Here's the problem, that the people of Israel were continually hardening their hearts to what the prophets spoke. They stopped repenting when the prophets told them to repent. They stopped believing the statements that the prophets made about God. They stopped trusting the promises of God that the, that the, that the prophets spoke. And so for a considerable amount of time leading up to Zechariah's day, God stopped speaking. God stopped speaking to the, to the people of Israel. That he, he, there'd been a prolonged silence in the people of Israel. There'd been no prophets for 400 years. There'd been no word from God. No book of the Bible had been written. The last word that, that, that uh, the last prophet spoke to the people of Israel was from Malachi 4, 400 years earlier. And, 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 and in it, the Lord says that through Malachi, he says that a day is coming that for those who fear God's name, the son of righteousness is going to rise with healing in its wings. And he says that all of God's children, all of God's people will be set free and they'll go leaping about like calves when they're freed from a stall in the morning. It's beautiful imagery describing our rescue that comes in Jesus. And Malachi says that when that day comes, that day is, is that's the coming of Jesus. That's what's coming in the coming of Christ. And he says that when that day comes, before that day comes, the Lord is going to send a prophet beforehand to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to send a prophet before the Lord's coming, before that sunrise with healing in its wings. He's going to send a prophet to prepare the people. 
But for the last 400 years, nothing, no prophet, no word from the Lord. They didn't, the people, they didn't hear God's voice. And can you just imagine waiting on these promises, waiting on this prophet to come? With each passing decade, nothing. Just more and more radio silence, radio silence for 400 years with each and every single generation becoming more cold and callous to these promises. With each and every single generation becoming more forgetful and more forlorn. It's safe to say that many of them felt abandoned, alone, abject. And so it's not hard to understand why Zechariah, after waiting such a long time, He sees that the day has come. He sees that the prophet is here, and he's incredibly, it's no no, no wonder why he's so moved in our passage. There's no no way that Zechariah is like calm and composed and collected here. He's, He's so glad and grateful, so moved that he's probably struggling to gain composure here. And again, it's not just because he is now a father after so many years of praying for this day, but because his son, His baby boy is going to fulfill a vital role in the history of redemption. His baby boy, according to the angel that visited him, is this long-awaited prophet that is going to prepare the way for the Lord, meaning that there's no more silence from God, no more waiting on the word of the Lord. Zechariah's son is a prophet. He is a mouthpiece of the Most High God. So Zechariah blesses and praises God in the song because this prolonged silence has been broken by the prophet sent. And so he turns to his son in the song, and he sets loose. He, he just lets loose, saying, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, interestingly, Zechariah's song not only testifies, it's not just Zechariah's song that testifies to the fact that John is this promised prophet, but, but uh, the fact that these words are coming from Zechariah's mouth is a sign to Zechariah and to all who read that this is indeed the prophet sent. Uh, this is pictured in what takes place here in the text with Zechariah. It's a very interesting uh, l- reading for, for literature because of what Luke does here and what the Lord does here. Uh, we read in, in, in chapter 1 of Luke that Zechariah, when he was on his rotation to serve as priest, uh, was the one who went to the holy place of the temple in front of the veil uh, to burn incense. And this is something that, that took place fairly often in the temple system where a priest would, would uh, go to the holy place in front of the veil and they would burn incense and they would pray for the people of Israel. And while Zechariah is there praying, an angel appears to him. And the angel says, Zechariah, your your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son, and and you're going to name him John. And this kid is not just going to be any any sort of kid. He's going to be the prophet promised from Malachi 4. But Zechariah, I mean, he's a good man. He's a righteous man. He trusts God, but this all seems to be a little too much for him. And so he questions the words of the angel. Uh, He asks for some sort of proof. The angel didn't like this very much, though. And so uh, because the angel didn't like this very much uh, and Zechariah didn't believe the promise communicated through the angel, Zechariah is made mute for the length of the pregnancy. For nine months, Zechariah couldn't speak. And, 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 And likely, because of what this word means, he likely couldn't hear either. Imagine someone from your family not talking for, for nine months. 
Uh, that would, actually, some of you might really like that if someone for your family just shut up for a little while. Uh, but for nine months, nothing from Zechariah, nothing, silence from Zechariah. But when John, his, his son is born, it says that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he opens his mouth and he prophesies. Now Luke uses this word prophesy very carefully. This is a picture of what's taking place here in the people of Israel because Zechariah didn't believe God's promise delivered through the angel. He's silent for nine months. Just as because the people of Israel didn't believe God's messengers, God was silent for 400 years. But now when John is born, Zechariah lets loose and prophesies and speaks, signifying to us that through Zechariah's son, God is going to let loose and speak to his people again. What began as this this sort of punishment for distrust becomes a sign for all who read. The Lord orchestrated this part of the story as a sign of the people of Israel, and Luke picked up on this sign to show us the significance of what's taking place. A prolonged silence is interrupted by this prophecy from Zechariah. And likewise, the prolonged silence of God amongst the people of Israel was interrupted by this prophet sent to be the voice of God among them. But then, as you know, John wasn't just any prophet. Uh, It says here that he was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. He is the one promised in Malachi 4 and also in Isaiah 40, 3-5. He is the one sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. He's the one sent to blaze a trail, to get the people of God ready for the coming of the King. Uh, John the Baptist, in, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verse 29, actually describes himself as a friend, as the friend of the bridegroom. Uh, and this is all sort of symbolic language. John is saying uh, in this symbolic title that he's given himself that Jesus is the bridegroom and the people of God are the bride. And what is the job of the friend of the bridegroom? Uh, the, the job of the friend of the bridegroom is like that, maybe of a best man on and leading up to a wedding day. Uh, I've been a best man a, a few times uh, in my life, enough to know that the job of a best man is much more than standing up there and looking pretty on the wedding day. There's a lot of work that goes into being a best man. You have a lot of work to do to make the wedding day as much as possible a stress-free event and experience for the groom and especially for the bride, more importantly. You're called to get things ready for that day. You're called to get things ready for uh, the, um, the bachelor party. You're called to get things ready and taken care of so that the groom is well taken care of, so that all of the details are taken care of uh, on that day. The best man in a wedding is there to make sure that the bridegroom and the bride get married without any complications or unexpected interruptions. And it's similar to the friend of the bridegroom here. John, John was, was sent before Jesus to get things ready. He was sent to the people of God to get them prepared for the coming of Jesus. He was sent to preach about repentance and about the forgiveness of sins and about the salvation that was coming in Jesus. He was sent to baptize people. That's why we call him John the Baptist. He was sent to baptize people, to, to get them ready to meet their king, their savior, their Lord. And so this is a very important role. That's why a great deal of focus of it, uh, on John is given in, in, in Luke's gospel early on. But you know, interestingly, as you continue to read Luke's gospel, John begins to just kind of drift into the background. Uh, after Jesus goes public at his baptism, you begin to see John less and less, and he eventually disappears altogether after he's martyred. But you see, that's, that's on purpose, because John was always meant to drift into the background. Uh, John was always meant to have a significant role for a short time and then get outshined by the bridegroom. 
John says as much about himself in John 3.30. He says that after Jesus comes on the scene, his ministry comes to an end. He says, he must increase. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And Luke communicates a similar message here in Luke 1 and 2. As he, he asserts the superiority of Jesus. In Luke 1.76, he calls John the Baptist a prophet of the Most High. But in Luke 1.32, he calls Jesus the Son of the Most High. When Elizabeth, pregnant with John, meets Mary, pregnant with Jesus, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb because of the presence of Jesus. Elizabeth calls out about the blessedness of Mary and the fruit of her womb. Mary does not call out about the blessedness of Elizabeth and the fruit of her womb. And even here, in Zechariah's song, he sings about his baby boy. He does. But before he does that, he sings about the son of Mary, the son of the Most High, the one sent to make us a people saved. You see, while Zechariah, I'm sure, is definitely enormously ecstatic about the birth of his baby boy here, as all fathers are, the cause for Zechariah's song, though, here, is not just the birth of his own son. And it's not just that his son is the promised prophet. In fact, that's not even mainly what has him moved with emotion. What mainly has him so moved, so happy, so gladdened, so grateful, so ecstatic is his wife's cousin's son. He's the one that God's people have been waiting for. He's the one that John was sent, Zechariah's son was sent to prepare the way for. He's the long-expected Savior. He is the anticipated Redeemer. And so Zechariah is blessing and praising God here mainly because Jesus is coming to make us a people saved. And this is just Jesus. He's not just a prophet. He, He is God himself, the Son of God, come to us in humanity. Zechariah says that in this Christ child, God has visited and redeemed his people. Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God come to visit and redeem us. When John and the rest of the prophets spoke, they said, thus saith the Lord. But when Jesus speaks, he says, truly, I say to you, with the authority of God himself. He's not a mere prophet among others uh, come to to interrupt or prolong silence. John 1 says that Jesus himself is the word of God. Hebrews 1.1, we read it earlier, says that long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so if you want to know God, look to Jesus. He's the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of the glory of God. If you want to know God, if you want to know what he's like, if you want to see him, simply look to Zechariah's wife's cousin's son. Look to Jesus. Because he's not just the son of Mary. He is the son of the most high God. And what's more, the word that he comes to speak to us is not a word of judgment. The word that he comes to speak to us is not one of disdain. It's not a word of condemnation. It's a word, as Zechariah says here, of salvation. It's a word about the forgiveness of sin. It's it's a word on the tender mercy of our God. We, all of us, have lived in the darkness of sin and guilt and shame. All we've known apart from Christ is hatred and division and separation, separation from God, separation from one another. Even within ourselves, we have nothing but lack of peace and rest, always feeling ashamed, accused, condemned. But all that darkness, Zechariah says, is interrupted by the sunrise, the sunrise From on high, the sun dawns and pierces the night when Christ is born. The knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the tender mercy of our God comes to us 
in Christ Jesus. Zechariah calls Christ the sunrise that visits us from on high. He calls him the light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The people of God here were pictured as like a band of weary travelers who have been overcome by, by the darkness of night. You can, you can almost picture it. Picture like a caravan making their way through a land they don't know, and, and, and the night comes, and it's pitch black, and they really have to get through it, but it's so dark, it's pitch black, they can't see the way. And so they've stopped traveling, stopped following the path, and they're literally sitting. The, 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 the text says, Zechariah says, uh, that Jesus is a light to those who sit in darkness, literally sitting in darkness, not moving, just immobile, sitting there because of how dark it really is. It's dark. They're so full of despair, hopelessness, that they just stop along the path and sit. But as they're sitting, a beam of light comes in the east and and the sky begins to turn from a blanket of black to a bright blue from the blazing sun, rising and giving light to all. And so the people still sitting stand to their feet and they jump up and down and cheer because the light has come, the sunrise has shined on them from on high. This is a picture of what takes place in the coming of Christ. He he comes and he shines light into our darkness. We were in the darkness of sin and guilt and shame. We wandered through the world aimless, hopeless, despairing, hating God, hating one another, in constant conflict with God, with others, with ourselves, in the shadow of death and without hope in the world. But in Christ comes our passing from death to life, from darkness to light. We receive the forgiveness of sins, freeing us from sin and guilt and shame. We receive in the coming of Christ purpose and hope. We're reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. Jesus says of of himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're taken from the shadow of death into the light of life of life in Christ. We're taken from this path of conflict with no rest, no peace, and our feet are placed on this path of peace. In the coming of Christ, we're forgiven by God. We're reconciled to God. We're made into a people saved. This is why Zechariah is blessing God in this song. This is what Zechariah and the people of God have been waiting for. This is who John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for. This is our hope, our peace, our light, our life. This is our salvation. So as we conclude, I would simply invite you to do two things. First, I would invite you to bless God like Zechariah does here in our passage. Zechariah lifts up his voice and he blesses God, meaning he praises, he glorifies God with his voice. And you have as much reason to bless God as Zechariah does. You know, the same kind of hopelessness and the same kind of despair and the same kind of darkness. And you've seen the same salvation. You've received the same hope and light and life. Therefore, you have just as much reason to lift your voice this morning and to bless God who has given you such a wonderful gift. And I would encourage you, don't don't just let your song remain here. As Zechariah, he, he did this, he sang his song amongst all of his relatives who were there and all of his friends who were there and all of his neighbors who were there. 
uh, for the circumcision of his son. And, and just like him, sing this to your relatives and your friends and, your, and, your, and those around you in this season. Tell them of the hope, the light, the life, the salvation that God has given us in Christ. And secondly, in addition to blessing God, I would invite you to wait on him. I would invite you to wait on God, wait on Christ. We saw that Zechariah and his family and the people of God, they were waiting for this day to come. They were waiting for Christ to come. They were waiting for the coming of Christ and for the prophet to prepare the path for him. And they saw that day come and they rejoiced. Oh, we're very much like them. We're waiting for Christ to come again. We're waiting for the promises of a second coming to be fully realized. We're waiting for our own resurrection. We're waiting for the new heavens, the new earth. We're waiting for Jesus to come and dry our eyes and wipe away every tear. And it's been a long time since we've received those promises. 2,000 years. Maybe it's been so long that you've started to to become somewhat cold and callous to the promises. Maybe you've begun to not let them shape your life, but you plan and live day to day as if they don't have any relevance to you. Maybe you've begun to not let them shape your life, your hope, your day to day. Maybe you don't even think about these promises. Maybe you don't even think about the second coming of Jesus at all. And if that's you, then this season of Advent is the perfect time for you to, to to just be quiet and reflect. This last week of Advent coming up, just let yourself be quiet and reflect and let yourself long for and hope in and anticipate those promises. It's the perfect time for you to slow down and reflect on how everything is just not right in the world. So There was a, a, a theologian who once said that, that Christian worship should always include trumpets of joy because we're celebrating that Jesus has come, but it also should always include uh, the ashes of confession and repentance and, and the tears of longing and lament. And Advent is a perfect time to sort of enter into those in, in fullness and, and let yourself carry the ashes of confession and repentance and cry the tears of lament and recognize that everything is not as it should be. We've seen the dawning of our salvation, but we're still waiting for, for the for the sun to shine in full strength. We're still waiting for Jesus to return and to make every wrong right. That's what we're waiting for as the people of God in this part of redemptive history. That's what we're waiting for. But I also want to encourage you too, I want to exhort you, we don't wait passively in this time. We don't wait passively between these two advents of Jesus. We don't wait passively between the two comings of Jesus. We, as the church, we play a similar role to John the Baptist, the babe born in our passage. Just as he was sent to prepare the way for the first advent of Jesus, the church is sent into all the world to prepare for the second advent, to prepare a way, to prepare a path for the second advent of Jesus. Just as John the Baptist was sent to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and to baptize all who repent and trust in Jesus, the church was sent into the world to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and to baptize all who repent and trust in Jesus. We're called to prepare the path, to get the nations ready for the coming of Jesus, to meet their king. You know, we're, we're not the light. We're, we're like John the Baptist. We're not the light. We're not the rescue. We're not the redemption. I think that's obvious with how messed up we all really are. We're not the, one who, 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 we're not the ones who are going to redeem and rescue and, and give the light, but we're called to declare the one who is and to prepare the peoples of the earth to meet him. 
We're called to give the peoples, the nations of the world, knowledge of salvation and of the forgiveness of sins by the tender mercy of our God. So Veritas, may we bless God this season. May we wait on him. And may we prepare a path for Christ as we do. Let's pray together. Father, we do wait on the promises of Christ to be fulfilled and fully realized. And we've seen many of those promises be fulfilled and realized in such wonderful ways in his first coming and his, and his birth and his life and his ministry and his teaching and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. But Lord, we are longing for his return when we won't just see the dawning of salvation, but we'll see the sun shining in its full strength, basking in its light and heat, basking in the mercy and the grace of your son. We long for that day when this earth, this world will be fully restored and renewed and made whole and made complete and perfected. We're longing for that day. We're longing for him to come back and make all things new. And so, Lord, would you help us to enter into that as we enter into the last week of Advent? Would you help us to let ourselves feel and long and anticipate and wait? Would you help us to, to be quiet and reflect, not to, not to be overcome by the busyness of the holidays and the season, Lord, but to just be quiet and reflect, to be still and know that you're God to wait on you. And Lord, we, we trust you. We know that you are a God who always keeps your promises. And so we, we wait with hope. We wait with faith. We wait with trust. Knowing, Lord, your character is good. You are good. You are a God of tender mercy and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for this time. Would you help us as we wait? to be a people about our Father's business, to be a people preparing the path for the coming of Christ, for the second coming of Christ. Help us to be faithful to that high call. In Jesus' name, amen.